Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. All right, welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast today. We're with Yasmin Bamber, who is a three-time Paralympian, competed in the World Championships four-time, four times a performer, professional handball player. He's 6'1", 185. We're going to talk about that too. Are you still 6'1", 185, sitting in a chair? Maybe a little bit heavier, but definitely a lot shorter, about four feet tall. I don't get to ride the... Uh, roller coasters anymore because we always argue about my height but i get taller yes thanks for joining us this is great thank you chris hey uh so you've just started the season just had a win in canada so that was a noram right yes sir and so this is ramping up toward beijing but you were coming off of some injuries shoulder and elbow injuries where you just had surgery just had some stem cell how's that going for you it was, um, so about a month ago, I figured out that something's going on with, uh, with my elbow and, um, it was just a uh, kind of seizing on me. I wasn't able to ex- uh, extend or flex all the way. And it was just excruciating pain. Um, I wasn't sure what's going on. We did a bunch of x-rays and it happened that I had a piece of cartilage or actually six of those little guys floating in my elbow, just living there forever. And they decided this year, right before the season start to lodge themselves into a place that would just cause a major problem. So uh, I had to actually make a super quick decision, either uh, try to, you know, compete and train with this pain or and, and which would pretty much be impossible or do a surgery. So the, um, the coaches and, and I'm kind of came to a, a decision, let's just do a quick surgery and see how this will work out. But then uh, on top of that, last April, I had a pretty bad crash and I, um, I hyperextended my shoulder, which anybody that uh, ski race know what, what they mean. It's uh, yeah, it's it, it's tough. My shoulder didn't pop out, but my uh, I had a, a severe uh, uh, labrum tear and a long bicep ligament tear, and um, that's going together with the elbow. So we did the surgery with the elbow, shoulder still hurting. I had to do something, so I flew to Europe and did the round of stem cells on my shoulder and elbows try to just kind of speed it up next thing you know everything's going great can you describe do you understand some of the science behind what happens with the stem cells like why would you get a stem cell injection what does it do well these that i got are actually my own stem cells that came from um my uh, fat cells so the process is he drove the physician and, and my doctor he got a bunch of um, fat cells um, from my stomach, which uh, beginning of the season, there are plenty of them. And uh, he also got a bunch of blood and um, created the platelets and he filtered it out. So that's how far I know about about the process. But um, after uh, 
uh, so injected me in the morning and three days later injected me two more times in the shoulder and told me to have a full workout next day um i did 100 healed no pain um my elbow was still weak from not doing anything for 10 days because i took it easy after the surgery but then um i spent about roughly eight days on snow and we were off for norams in canada and so far so good brought home a gold from slalom which is amazing i mean it's a pretty the stem cell i've had prp and and my doctor described it as basically like filling the cracks in the sidewalk kind of thing that that it's like you can fill that crack and and, it, and it's all back to back to normal and I went without having any surgery, which is which is pretty amazing. So this is a big year for you, but we've got to step back just a little bit because you said from the time you were little that you wanted to be an Olympian. Why did you, when did, when did that dream happen for you? All right, so my whole family is pretty athletic. My mom is a, a gymnastic coach. My dad is a, um, he was a handball player. The, ski coach but then um my dad was a coach in uh, sarajevo olympics and um so in 84 at the olympics in 84 long long time ago and i was just a little little tiny kid this is bill johnson for those americans who are out there bill johnson winning the downhill and then phil and steve going first and second yeah so uh i was um my uh my mom was in, uh, I believe my mom was in Sarajevo and somehow we were with, uh, being watched by our neighbors and um, they, were showing the, they were showing the whole, uh, whole shebang, the Olympic games and the, the old former Yugoslavia and our team and all that. And I saw my dad in the stands and I thought that was like the absolutely the greatest honor that you can, you know, achieve in your lifetime. So I, was like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be Olympian. That's it. You know, I'm not sure how how this is gonna work out, but I'm gonna be Olympian. In my case, it, it worked out a little bit different than what we planned. I ended up being Paralympian, but in alpine skiing, which was absolutely uh, not the plan at all. But life is, uh, you know, full surprises. So you you were born in Serbia, then then grew up mostly in in Bosnia, then moved back to Serbia. Was your father coaching for Yugoslavia in 1984? Who was he coaching for? So he was coaching for Yugoslavia, but he was uh, 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 mostly um, responsible for a Bosnian team. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Like the this kind of funny story that my parents lived in Bosnia and then the hospital there wasn't really up to the code or the my mom, my mom was really scared of that hospital. So we, uh, we drove back to uh, Serbia, this uh, provincial town Zrenjanin, and um, she had me there. And then after the birth, you know, a couple of months, we, we came back to Bosnia. Bosnia is beautiful. It's just a, uh, at the time, didn't the little town that we lived in didn't really have a, um, a hospital that, <laughs> that my mom thought it was uh, good enough for us. And then I lived for for um, uh, about 10, 11 years until the war. We lived in Bosnia and then when war started. But that whole time, 
um, uh, my dad ran a, a big ski resort in Bosnia and I, I, I was gearing to be a ski racer. But then when war broke, we um, broke out, we lost everything and uh, skiing was impossible. So, skiing was impossible. So you went to handball as a result of, of skiing yeah. being impossible? Is that how that worked? Yeah. So in um, you gotta describe is, handball too, because handball is not a sport that a lot of Americans are super familiar with. So handball is not that little. Um, I always tell people not that little jail game when you play with your hand and the ball against the wall. The handball I'm talking about it's called team handball. It's a game of seven players, uh, including a goalie. You're running a back and forth, full contact, kind of mix of uh, soccer, rugby, and basketball. Uh, extremely difficult, extremely it's athletic. Full contact, really, absolutely full contact. Yeah. Okay. So there's no sh there's no shoulder pads and there are no helmets. And meanwhile, you are attacking your opponent and trying to jump over him and shoot the ball with your hand to the uh, goal. Uh, there is a goalie in on that you know goal trying to protect the goal from the from the ball is about three uh, size three soccer ball. But like a little bit smaller than a than a volleyball kind of thing, or like a volleyball. It's something that you can palm, pretty much palm it. And anybody that plays handball, they usually have a giant hand, so because you gotta grab the ball. And uh, uh, like I said, I'm six one, and um, that was my uh, career uh, at the time. At the age of uh, fifteen, I made a pro uh, first division uh, Serbian um, handball team, and I thought I was set, but the um, we had um, again um political problems in um serbia and then my dad decided maybe it would be a smart thing for me to do is uh, to spend um, a senior year in the uh, united states and that's how i end up here and that's you went by yourself though right not absolutely with yeah. yeah i came here by myself i was in exchange program and uh, this family that I um, that accepted me, they were absolutely wonderful. Uh, they live in North Carolina. They're still uh, friends with with me and my family, and they kind of um, um, took care of us through all uh, things that were um, happening to to me during the time I'm in the United States. And we are still friends. I mean, it's kind of crazy. My parents were just at their uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> So even after like 20 years, you know, it's, it's, it's a one wonderful uh, family from North Carolina. But, um, and then while I was in the United States, this was right after um, um, Atlanta Olympics. So US was actually pushing ton of um, funding and, and, and uh, they wanted handball to grow. So I was able to play with like the best players in, in the region and which worked out great. And some of why you left as well was you were going to have to go into the into the military is that right yeah that was a uh, that was kind of main reason so what was happening the um the milosevic regime and uh, the war that just broke out in kosovo there was just trucking kids young 18 year olds 19 year olds they were from mixed marriage so my mom is a uh, uh, christian orthodox like russians and my dad is uh my dad's situation is kind of complicated because he's like a muslim uh, Montenegro guy that lived in Bosnia so it's kind of like you got everything like going on you know and the, so these we were the kids 
uh, off of these mixed marriages, we were keeping Yugoslavia together because we were, you know, the until the 1990s, we really didn't know back home who's who. Religion really didn't exist and everything was perfect, but then something happened. Like I said, my, my country is beautiful and um, people are awesome, but we have war every 50 years, past 200 years. So it's kind of crazy to, to put it that way, but I can't explain it, but it is what it is. So uh, because of that, the, we kind of had the list of people that were drafted and they were going into a war, but that wouldn't be a war. It was just a fair kind of execution of, of the kids that were in, you know, mixed marriage. So, so this is like an ethnic cleansing that you would just effectively be recruited into an ethnic cleansing kind of thing. Pretty much, in a, in a legal way. That's what Milosevic was doing. And um, we kind of knew about this. So my dad was like, you got to go. I really wanted to go to Germany, but at the time that was impossible because uh, we were in an uh, economic embargo and U.S. was just an easier option. So I end up here. What were the conditions like different, you know, the idea of the, of the embargo and then you show up in the U.S. Like, what's that like for you? I don't know how to explain you that, but uh, imagine the, uh, your regular Walmart or, um, or a Target store and you walk in and there's people working there, but the, 90% of lights are off and there's only three items on the in the whole store for sale. And it might be like a bread, lettuce and staplers, just some random thing. And you, it's very dark, very scary. Uh, people are kind of mad, uh, discouraged. Uh, and then uh, you come to US and my, my American family, there was like, this something's wrong with this kid. He just want to go shopping. I didn't even want to go shopping. I just want to go in the store and touch stuff because there was so much stuff there. It was, it was just different, man. You know what I mean? So they would literally, after school, they would drop in the mall. I would just walk around and like, US is very different. People here smile. And back home, we don't smile. If I don't know you, I'm not smiling. And even if I do smile, they think something's wrong with you. It's like, look at that guy. He's just smiling at me. What's wrong with him? You know what I mean? So, and uh, I mean, you have to understand like the wars going on, the economic embargo and all that. And, and then the, it, it takes a toll on your on your soul and just your personality. And then you come to the US and you're like, wow, this is, this is completely opposite. But it worked out fine. What was that like for you, though, coming in, like the change culturally, the change from, from there to then coming in the U.S.? How well did you speak the language? How hard was it for you as, as a high school senior to acclimate? Well, it was, it was interesting. Uh, these uh, culture shocks, they can go many different ways. The thing is, like, it's how you, what do you make out of them? You can cry about it, you can be very unhappy, or you can just laugh constantly about um, what was just happening to you. So like simple thing, like first, first day of school, um, in Serbia, when you meet somebody, you, you um, or that's where I uh, spend most of my, <laughs> my time, you, you shake hands and you, uh, if you think that that person is like, important or do you like you really wanted to know you kind of you know kiss three times on the cheeks right but you kind of lean towards it and you kind of kiss but you don't hug people you you hug your mom you hug your grandma you hug somebody that's like immediate family right 
So I, I was in high school, I remember first day and I'm wearing this like a bomber leather jacket, kind of shaved head and these, these, these people like introducing, trying to introduce themselves and like girls and boys, you know, and they like tried to hug me and I'm like, back off, you know, and I, then I tried to kiss him and they were like, what are you doing? Dude? You know what I mean? So that was a little bit confusing. They were like, this guy is weird, man. <laughs> he, will, he will push you in and try to kiss you, dude. you know what I mean? So, but I mean, the um, for instance, like I, I, I ever since I'm a little kid, I loved cars, and then when I came here, I was just shocked. Like vehicles here are so much bigger, and the you know the for instance, like the the Yugo, for most people, they know that that thing came from Serbia, and that's just a common car. It's like you know, it's small enough you can make a slot machine out of it, and um, that I thought. You know that that was a decent vehicle, but then when I came here, I was like, "Wow, you you can literally load this car in back of somebody's truck and drive it around." I mean, these guys are, you know, unbelievable, unbelievably, you know, uh, huge with with their roads and and everything else. So it, it was definitely a culture shock. That's got to be a culture shock, but I imagine the thing that kind of kept you going was the handball, right? That that's that was the language you were really fluent in. Yeah, well, the him absolutely, but I was all around the athlete, no matter what. I loved soccer, you know, the volleyball. So when I came to US, the uh, it took me a few months to find Hamble, but I played I played American football, and um, I played soccer. <laughs> what was that like? So you went from playing soccer to playing American football? Well, let me put it this way: uh, I'm pretty well built, pretty strong, and, uh, but my English was uh, not there, right? The, it, it should have been a lot better, and so communication was impossible, but then these coaches would come and just like, can you kick this ball? I was like, yeah, let me see it. So I kicked, you know, I could kick like 40, 30, 50-yard field goals, no problem at all. So these guys were like, wow, this is awesome, and they were like, well, can you, you know, can you run? I was like, yeah, handball was you know, all around the game with, with running back and forth on the course. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm super fast, but they couldn't explain the the plays to me at all. Like it was pretty much impossible. So I was like, how about you go on a special team? You kick the ball and just hit whoever is in front of you. And I was like, okay, you see, you see how simple this is and totally works out for us. So I, I, I did play and it was great. Absolutely great. Uh, I, it probably took me about four months to learn English where I didn't really have any problems. I'm still learning after 20 years, but, you know, the language is a, is a mystery for me at some point. Well, you speak English languages, though, too, right? Well, I speak, um, um, so uh, Yugoslavian is, is um Serbo-Croatian is what we kind of called it while Yugoslavia was um, together. And then when these guys split, we have a bunch of other um, languages that came out of the, uh, which, which within each state. So Bosnia has its own language, Croatia has its own language, Macedonia has its own language. So yeah, I'm able to speak all those. So when did you when did you feel comfortable in the U.S. Because you you did the senior year and then you went to college there, right? College in the U.S. So this is what happened. Um, 
being a 16 year old or, or a 17 year old, 18 year old in Europe, you're on top of your game. You can do whatever you want. As in my case, I was, you know, a professional athlete. I had a ton of friends. I was in newspapers, you know, age of 15. So it was kind of awesome. So I came in, in this country and uh, um, I'm, you know, I like nightlife. I like nightclubs and all that stuff. And I love that ever since I'm a little kid, right? But Ever since you were a little kid, are you going to nightclubs when you're a little kid? What's going on with that? 13, 14 years old. That's the age when you start going out in Eastern Europe. <laughs> you really, you start going to nightclubs at 13, Absol 14 years old? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not even joking. I have uh, three daughters right now. My daughter is 11 years old and I'm terrified taking her, thinking about taking her back home because all her cousins are going to be like, hey, come out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's go to a cafe, drink uh, coffee or something. And <laughs> so everybody, like I said, uh, and in and Granby, Colorado, there are not a lot of nightclubs. Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, they're safe there, and I'm planning on keeping them there as long as I can. But what happened is like here, I came, you know, I, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, so I'm like 18 years old, and I tried to go, you know, party or do something, and they were like, sorry, you can't come in. I was like, why? I don't have money, or like my clothes is not good enough, or it's like, no, no, no. You don't have ideas. Like, I don't need an idea. I have a hundred dollars. I'm good. But he just let me in. He goes like, absolutely not. You know, but, and I was like telling that to my friends back home. I was like, so when they start going out? And I was like, well, when they turn 21, I was like, why? That's too old. Who goes out when you're 21? That's, we're done at that point. You know, like you're working in a factory. You have like six kids. You know what I mean? Like we don't, it's not, it's not how this thing was. So I, I like after, um, um senior year i was like i want to go home like i'm i'm done you know i don't want to this country is awesome but like you know the i don't think this is going to work out but then when i went home the situation in serbia even got worse um they were trying to overturn the uh political party and all that stuff or that was just about to happen and i was like well i gotta get out of here again <laughs> and then uh, my american mom uh, her name is Carolyn. She uh, she found this college in uh, in Georgia that was um, giving scholarship for a handball, and um, my grades were good enough, and I ended up coming back, and I was college student, which which was another dream of mine. So what happened is that uh, in Serbia we would have only a few uh, uh, American shows, uh, TV shows, and um, uh, most of them were in color. So uh, um, one of my favorite shows was Baywatch. And I was like, wow, this country is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, I want to, you know, I just started watching the show after I spent some time here. And I was like, well, you know, <laughs> this is going to work out great. I just want to go back. And um, that's what happened. I came back. And so was that was that dubbed into into Croatian or Serbian or not Croatian but but Serbian or in, in when you watched it over there or were you watching it here? Well, I started watching it there. I just kind of discovered it because, like, I didn't growing growing up in in during the war and embargo and stuff. We literally had like three channels, three TV channels at at home. So um, gaming, like any kind of console or something, that's that didn't exist. You you played outside, and the only thing you were able to play with is soccer ball or you. And 
the neighborhood I kind of grew up in Serbia, the, we, we were, you know, doing okay, but um, you would make friends with the guy, with the, you know, neighbor across the street who had the soccer ball, because that was like, wow, you know, that guy's got it going on, you know what I mean? <laughs> so the, um, you just kind of played outside and that was it. And um, when, that's why I really didn't know any, any movies or any anything else that, that was going on with like MTV or something like that. But then when I came here, you know, there was there was an overload, you know, because like you have like hundred channels and any kind of show you ever imagine. And that they kind of stick with me, Baywatch. But so well, perfect. I mean that that is that is the US. That's what we were exporting was, yeah. was Baywatch. Yeah. Was it. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a scholarship to play handball. How many colleges are playing handball? I mean, I, I don't remember many. So um, that so that was like an I want to say like a ninety eight ninety nine. It was like a um, um, Atlanta Olympics were fairly close after that, and US were really pushing. So everything on East Coast. Um, as far as like a middle of Georgia college, UGA, Georgia Tech, uh, mostly like uh, uh, in, in Georgia and uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, like uh, UNC Chapel Hill, and then um, um, Air Force Academy and um, Emory College. That's just also Georgia, I believe. Those are all the schools that offer the scholarship because they were really trying to push it and grow the sport. And um, the it, it's a it's a fun game. It's very popular, and I mean, Europe is very popular. But people liked it. I'm not sure. Um, to go back, the I had the you know, obviously a car accident, and when that thing kind of happened to me, I I kind of lost the interest, and because I wasn't able to walk anymore, <laughs> so I didn't play the sport anymore. Right. So you weren't playing handball, which, I mean, as you're saying, I mean, I played it in gym class as a little kid and I've, I've seen it a few times, but it's a super athletic sport. And there's, there's basically like an arc as well, right? Like a crease where you're not allowed to go yeah. into yeah. it, but you can jump and you can still, you can be in the air yeah. and throw. So, so you so have to jump and the crease is 18, 18, um, uh, 18 feet away from the uh, goal goal line and is the goal like a like a field hockey goal is it that big or it's a bigger it's bigger bigger it's a lot bigger but yeah. then like if you if you get enough speed you can jump the 18 feet no problem at all but you expect the goalie to punch you kick you stick his finger in the eye so be careful <laughs> right so it's a combination of like a long jump which an 18 foot long jump is a is a good long jump it's not yeah. you're not breaking any world records or anything like that but as you're doing it, trying to trying yeah. to avoid somebody else, nobody's giving you a clear runway to jump yeah, off the line that, either. Yeah, during that break, you would uh, if you were breaking from uh, uh, your defense, one guy would run up and you would pass him the ball, and then he would be like at full speed and try to jump as close as as he could to the goal, kind of distract the goalie and try to sneak the ball in. But like I said, uh, it's a full contact game. Like your jersey will be ripped. You will have like uh, uh, blue bruise marks all over your um, uh, abdominal. Uh, usually, if you flip your uh, uh, top lip, you will have the marks of your um, of your teeth lined up. 
So it's a, it's a brutal sport, like honestly, like a lot of. But the people that play, they're true athletes. I always, I always had so much respect. Soccer and like basketball and all, they are absolutely great sports. But the their different skill required in soccer, you just kind of do everything with your feet, and you gotta be absolutely fast. In basketball, you have to be tall. But this thing is kind of um, combination of both. Of a lot of things. Yeah. And so you said you had you had a car accident and ended up, you know, in a in a wheelchair as a result of it. Yeah. Your so parents were still go. your parents were still back back in Serbia though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um you're alone um, effectively. Yeah. 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 So I want to finish this handball thing, but like we won an SEC championship. Oh, you did? Okay, I didn't know you won the SEC championship. Yeah, yeah, we won SEC championship, and uh, we were going into uh, uh, U.S. Nationals, and it was like a 16 days um, till U.S. Nationals, and that's when my accident happened. And all my teammates and um, um, the guys that I went to school with, it was like, what do we do now? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> because I was usually the guy that would pass the ball and I would shoot. <laughs> but like, I was like, you guys are going to have to figure this on your own, man. I, I'm a little busy right now. So yeah, so what happened with the, I was coming back from training in Atlanta and um, I was just driving by myself. I had a little Jetta that had this um, seatbelt thing that was uh, wrapped around the door. So me being young and stupid and, uh, invincible i cut that little seatbelt off so i never really had the seatbelt in my car so then i took uh, the little piece of the seatbelt that would actually uh, plug in and stop uh, your car from beeping i cut that um i, I shaved that kind of off and just stuck it in the little uh, uh seatbelt uh buckle, basically that seatbelt buckle so the car was like completely um seatbeltless <laughs> So, and I drove the car like that um, probably, I don't know, maybe six months. And what happened, I was, uh, I was driving back, it was kind of late and um, I fell asleep. And uh, I flew, I, there was two roads that were under construction. And so what happened in Georgia, I was coming back from, uh, my school was in Macon, Georgia, outside of Macon, Georgia, and the practice was in Atlanta. Uh, this is like in back in in the, in the um, uh, back in the country, and there's absolutely no lights there. So what happens? Like you uh, you come to the stop sign and you flip flick the lights off, and if you don't see anybody coming in opposite direction or uh, crossing the road, you will just speed through it instead of stopping at the stop sign. And <laughs> you cut your seatbelts out. You're you're running running stop signs. Okay, this sounds like a good start here. Yeah, well, yeah, and uh, I, I, that's what I believe what happened. I flicked the lights off, but the road was under construction. The car hit the lip on the road that was about six inches tall. Oh, like the curb kind of thing on the yeah, road? Yeah, curb, probably. And the front wheels fell off the car, and I flew through the windshield, and the car collapsed on top of me and then dragged me, I don't know how many feet, but a long way maybe 30, 40 feet. And then cars uh, kept going and end up in a ditch about 200 feet away. So I was laying in a two lane road uh, by myself. 
uh, kind of in the in the middle. And some guy thought I was a dead deer, so he pulled over, like looking for a dinner, or <laughs> and then he saw it was a human, and then maybe. 30 seconds later, he waved down the um, 18-wheeler truck hauling uh, cotton out of the fields. Uh, he, this guy said, like, if, he, if, he, if this guy didn't wave, him, he'd probably run me over. I was like, oh, wow. So, and I, I and the re after all this, uh, I was in rehab, and the, at that time, the, you know, I sustained a, um, um, brain injury, I had a um, broken uh, T9 um, my back. And I mean, I, I was a mess. And this guy actually came and saw me in a hospital. I don't remember that. I was just when I wanted to kind of thank him to saving my life after what I did, but never kind of worked out. Maybe one day. <laughs> he, the, that guy came to the hospital, the guy who, who found you in the middle of the road? Yeah, yeah, who stopped that truck. He actually came and he wanted to make sure that, that was okay. I guess he came like a few days later, but like I was on so many medication and like uh, I had like a severe concussion, probably not brain injury, but like a severe concussion. I had like a 85 or eight, 82 stitches in the back of my head. And um, because when the paramedics found me, they thought I like I was fine, but I just had like a severe um, head injury. But I'm not sure what happened i don't remember x and the whole deal with you had a whole lot of stuff going on so yeah, yeah it's hard to yeah. yeah the lights were off anyway so you couldn't be able to see anything anyway <laughs> so who, who told your parents i mean you're you're there this guy finds you in the middle of the road he prevents the truck from running you over they bring you to the hospital not these guys but the ambulance brings you to the hospital your parents are what six thousand miles away, eight thousand miles away, something like that. Well, that's kind of a horror story because the um, and me being a parent, that's why I'm saying this is a horror story. So what happened is that uh, hospital contacted the college. College contacted my American family that they were by my side at that time, and they continue to be our you know greatest friends. And so they um, they called my parents, but my parents don't speak English at all. They speak uh, a little bit of um, um, German and Russian. So communication, and to make it even worse, the Serbia has a holiday, it's called Serbian New Year. And I crashed on Friday at 13th. That's the Serbian New Year. So my parents were at this huge party and uh, they couldn't understand what's going on. They just, you know, assume, Something's horrible, horrible happened. So they came home and they found the, one of our neighbors, they kind of spoke English. So they were constantly in communication with my, with the doctors here and, or, or, and my, um, my American family here. And my American family telling them what's happening, but they are not in Georgia either with, by my side, right? So the, um, the doctors are telling my neighbor who, barely speaks English and my neighbor was stressing to my parents. So at one point they, he, my neighbor told my parents like, Hey, he's dead, man. Like I can't listen to this anymore. <laughs> you know, he's done. You know what I mean? So then they called half an hour later. They were like, well, he's not that dead. He's kind of dead. You know what I mean? But like, he's kind of alive, you know, we're not sure. 
So um, I always felt so guilty putting my parents through through this whole uh, whole deal that you know it was 100% my fault. But um, so when the, when this thing happened, they figured out they kind of got me stable. They said like, hey, he's you know sustained severe injuries. They they find a better translator. So um, what are your parents thinking? I mean, that your neighbor tells your parents that you're dead. So even, for a period of time, they think you're dead. Then they get a better translator and they tell them that that you're actually alive. paralyzed. You're just yeah, mostly dead. <laughs> I, I, this is, like, this like, is Princess Bride, right? This, this is uh, pretty much. <laughs> great movie by the way um i'm I, I can't even put them in their shoes like i said i i have kids now and my kids are super active and you know it's it's crazy but like what what went through their head at the moment you know the my mom really kind of refused to talk about those few days and uh, but i don't know anything of what was going on at that moment i was completely out like i, I was in coma and you know that was it um so what happened is that uh, and you were in a coma for almost a month right in and out it was kind of bad uh, maybe a little bit less but it, it wasn't like i wasn't there i will only thing that i remember from that whole time is that uh i'm in macon georgia laying on my back and um at one point nurse was telling me like hey your parents are here and i'm assuming my my uh, american family and uh, my mom walked in the room and I was like, oh boy, I'm dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and she's like, started talking to me and I'm like, no, this is not, I'm not dead, man. I'm, I'm pretty sure alive. <laughs> like it wasn't like you were not there, you know, like with morphine and everything they were, they were because I also uh, skinned my whole back from, uh, the, I don't oh, know, how, yeah, yeah, the windshield or, but then like my legs were hundred percent. Like I didn't have a single scratch on my leg. It was just like my back and the, the left arm. Uh, yeah, left arm was uh, humor, humerus was uh, completely broken off and the uh, right shoulder was also dislocated. So the, when they finally got me going, I was in a power chair because I really couldn't, couldn't do anything. But yeah, but like when I saw my mom, like, and I kind of got to, uh, to understanding that this is not, you know, the afterlife. The I was like, oh boy, I screwed up, huh? And she's like, yeah, it'd be all right. I mean, it's not, it's not. I, think they I said be- something similar to my mother that night yeah. after my accident. I was like, I really did it this time, didn't I? Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll we'll deal with that later. No, don't, don't yeah. worry. So you understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but like the they um the that was. Actually, Serbian situation at that point or Yugoslavian was like uh, U.S. was actually bombing. Um, so there was no in and out at all. How they got here, um, I always had to thank my American family because these guys, uh, they had a little bit of influence. So they were able to get them on the emergency visas. And uh, there was not even an embassy in Belgrade, uh, U.S. embassy. So they actually had somebody from uh, Hungary meet them at the border and vouch for them to walk the, across the um, bridge to get in Hungary to be able to fly here. So wow. till this day, uh, you know, the how they got here, it was a total mystery. And especially like not speaking English and uh, under that much pressure and that much stress, 
going coming to the United States, knowing that you know your firstborn probably not gonna make it, but let's see how it goes. Because they are like the uh, both of my lungs were collapsed and like there was some kidney issues, so they were like the doctors were just trying to put me together the best they could, and that's why the current update was so essential for them. They were not sure what's gonna happen to me, but somehow I pulled out of it. Wow. And so, but they didn't stay, did they? Did your parents end up going back to Serbia or did they stay for a while or what did they do? So my, um, that was kind of interesting because my American mom was by my side nonstop and my real mom was there nonstop. And my mom doesn't speak one word of English. How did they communicate it? And how did they, what, what they did, what this first 30 days, I'm not sure, but they, Besides that I'm, that I'm in a horrible situation, they became a really good friends. <laughs> which that mom kinda, language where they were both mom, talking about you. Absolutely yes. mom language. So they, um, uh, this thing kind of, you know, brought a whole, the fact that I was broken, it was horrible, but brought kind of hold these two families together. And what happened is like the, the, when my, my dad was in, my dad after um, the Bosnia, he didn't really do anything with sports anymore. He was, uh, the situation in Serbia was horrible. He was just trying to um, feed the family and, and provide for us. So he was a businessman at, at you know, next uh, six, seven years and doing business in Serbia is, is during the war, it's very different than any other countries. Uh, racketeering, greasing palms, <laughs> anything that's uh, illegal, you would have to do for a legal business. So he was just trying to do best as he can. But he was, uh, I think he the, when this thing happened to me, he saw opportunity that he was really tired of um, uh, living in Serbia. So he kind of was talking to me, he's like, what do you think if we you know, move here for a year and see how it works out? And I was like, well, I definitely gonna need help because I didn't know what's going to happen with, with me or how I'm going to turn out. I mean, one day you are walking, you're top of the world, you know, doing whatever you want. Next day you're dead in a, in, in a hospital bed and they're all telling you you're never going to walk again. It, just as far as mental, it's absolutely devastating. And to make it even worse, uh, at the time, I didn't really have uh, papers. I had uh, a college visa and the U.S., um, uh, Olympic team was uh, helping me try to get an, um, a green card in the United States to, to be able to compete for U.S. But what happened is like when this thing happened to me, these guys are like, well, we don't really need you anymore. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, what do I do now? He's like, I don't know, you go home. And I was like, well, I can't go home. We don't have wheelchair people at home. Like I never, honestly, uh, until I was like 18 years old, I never saw a person where I saw like one guy that was, in the, in the wheelchair, in the, um, in the whole country. I don't even know what, well, until that point, I don't even know what, what they did to people in the wheelchairs. I think they were like, stuck them all in <laughs> under the carpet or some kind of closet or something, or I don't know, shoot them. <laughs> I have no, it was, it was so devastating for me to like, to think about that now. And what I, you know, became, become and, and how hard, you know, life must be for these guys in past. Do people assume that you were in the war when you tell them that you're Serbian, Bosnian, 
Do they assume that you were in the war, that that's how you ended up in a wheelchair? Yep, <laughs> all the time, but I don't know. Or or uh, I have people that, you know, just come to me and say, like, I don't know, maybe because of my build or my haircuts, that they like, thank you for your service, sir. I was like, oh, no, no, oh, no, no. These guys are real, true people. <laughs> yeah i'm just here on a visa <laughs> it's okay here <laughs> but the you know the i always thank all my uh friends you know they got injured in overseas and stuff and they served in the army and, i mean they they they're they're all true heroes you know for for rest of us we always need to have our place and thank them for what they sacrificed for all of us basically for sure so yeah. your parents moved to North Carolina then while yeah. you were in the hospital? Is that how this ended up working out? So Did they moved next door to your to like <laughs> to, to your American family? No, really, they moved in their house, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so not next door, actually in the house. Okay. So my, my mom is a great cook. And uh, uh, my my real mom. I have real mom and my American mom. My American mom is also a good cook, but she's really busy too. Uh, and then uh, my American dad loved my American mom, my real mom cooking, right? So he was like, well, why don't you guys just, while he's in, you know, first team college, let's see how this girl, why don't you just guys move in, you know, with us and, you know, what's like my American family, they're never at home. They're, you know, always busy traveling and stuff. Like that. So it went out absolutely awesome. And they had a nice house with a pool. I mean, in Serbia, you can only dream of that, you know? And so with my, my parents, uh, what happened like usually um your rehab is several months two three months i was in rehab for like six seven months it was that bad they just couldn't like i was so weak i went from you know um 200 something pound bench press bench press which is not much but just a regular athlete to laying literally uh 30 days laying days later later in the um rehab gym in uh, Shepherd Center in Atlanta, trying to lift the wooden rod. It's like a tiny little wooden rod off my chest. And they're like, well, you know, and all my teammates, all my friends are there. It's like, what happened to you? I was like, I don't know, but this thing is like destroying me. <laughs> so it, it, was, it was a long process. And like the, I think my parents decided to stay because they were somehow struggling. I was through the rehab. And they were not really sure how I'm gonna turn out because um, I had a lot of mental stuff going on. I really didn't see life and 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 how this could be uh, positive in any way. I was like, I just kind of want to die, man. Just I'm done, you know. And that was that. That's a tough tough deal to see somebody that's 18, 19 years old. Go, what flipped go that switch for you then? I mean, if you wanted, if you're there and you want to die, what flipped the switch? Well, um, be honest with you, it was um, work of one um, um, therapist, and um, uh, her name is Joy Burns, and um, this lady, yeah, yeah, she's awesome. And uh, this lady would, um, I guess she either saw potential in me or I don't know, but she kind of like always hang out after the the, thera the therapy or kind of like just talk to me a little bit while I was in, in Shepherd Center and, and you know, 
tried to tell me this is gonna be okay. And I was always like, wow, man, this lady's walking, you know, she's attractive. Why would she ever talk to me? And I'm like, just like, hey lady, you know, leave me alone. Well, let me just be. So she's kind of like telling me like, hey, you know, different stories. Like you should try this. You should, you know, try basketball, you, you know, we can go outside for a walk. And I mean, she's extremely positive, you know, outgoing. There was no, you know, off topic, whatever you want to talk to you and talk to me. And, you know, I was always like, like, hey, you know, like you, you kind of like, you know, asking me so many questions. I don't really want to talk to you, you know, like I'm just kind of pushing it away. And um, but she was adamant about it. You know, she would like joke around, you know, everything like super positive. And then uh, one day, like, you know, I was like, you don't even know, like what I told her, like, you don't even know, like what means to be in a wheelchair. So I said, like, you're crazy. You know what I mean? Like, leave me alone. You know, like, it's. Just work here for a paycheck, you know, <laughs> you know, and she's like, no, 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 you know, the, the, I have a life outside this hospital, you know, the, you know, the, I have a husband that's in a wheelchair. I was like, whoa, why would you have a husband? Like, You're gorgeous, man. You know what I mean? Like, uh, how? I don't understand how this works, man. Like, you know, it's like, is something wrong with you? <laughs> it's just like, no, no, I, like, it's like, why would something be wrong with me? You know, so we got back before them. I'm, I'm just trying to you know, test the water and, and kind of maybe even make her mad, you know, just leave me alone. And she was like, well, tomorrow I'm going to bring this album with the pictures. I'm like, all right, fine, you know, bring it. So she brought this album, right? And inside this album is this uh, uh, gentleman in a, in a wheelchair and her, and they're like um, NASCAR is uh, a sailing, uh, fishing, the um, beach, uh, skiing, anything you ever imagine, this wheelchair guy is like, you know, all over the place with her. I'm like, wow. I'm like, I'm looking like, hmm. you know, I mean, it's a good looking dude, but like, you know, nothing crazy. You know, what I mean? I'm like, wow. So she's like, I'm going to get uh, my husband to come and talk to you tomorrow. I was like, well, I mean, if you want to, that's no problem at all. So you're not going anywhere. You're like, I'm lying in bed here. You can find yeah, me. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just like finding excuses not to, you know, see anybody. So um, next uh, next day, for sure, this guy shows up in the hospital, right? And he go, he straight up rolled in my room. When we, we could tell he's an athlete, you know, like broad shoulders, good looking dude. And he goes like, hey, my name is, you know, Bert. And he extend his arm to, you know, for us to uh, shake hands. And I noticed like his fingers are all like bunched up. And I'm like, how you doing? He's like, not bad. You know, I was like, what's wrong with your hand? And he goes like, well, I'm a quad. And I'm looking like you. Hold so on, like, I've got to back up just for a second. He extended his hand. You didn't pull it in and kiss him, uh, kiss him? No, 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 I learned at that point, no more kissing the Americans, man. <laughs> So no, no, no. So he literally extended his arm and I like I shook his hand and I'm like, what's going on here? And he's like, yeah, I'm quiet. And I'm looking at him like, whoa, I just man. <laughs> like, wait a minute. This guy is a quad and his arms don't work. And he's able to have this beautiful lady and you know, be um um the, after we talked, he, he's a, a gold medalist in, in Paralympic Games. And you know, to have a house and to have a job and you know to travel all over the world and to do everything that i think was normal i was like 
wow, well, if this guy can do it, I can do it too. So he left. Joey saw me like in, a, in the cafeteria or something. I was like, what's going on? I was like, hey, can I try that basketball thing or anything? And this, <laughs> she's like, what's wrong with you? I was like, nothing. Like, I just met, you know, Bert. And from that moment, honestly, these guys kind of gave me a new, uh, new light on, the, on, on life. I really didn't think that that's going to be possible or that anybody will ever actually get me going. Yeah, the, my family and my American family and all my friends, you know, made, a, made that also, you know, possible. But that was that little push that I guess. Oh, hold on. There can be a life after this whole thing. Was your, so was your wife still with you? Was she your girlfriend at the no. time? No, Absolutely. this is afterwards. That's afterwards, yeah. So um, when I talked to Joyce, like, yeah, man, Bert, you know, the we just met. I don't, I don't remember anymore when they met, but I was like, well, so what do I do? She's like, you go back to college, you do whatever you were doing before. You like nightclubs, fine. You go party in nightclubs. You like bar fights, fine. You go fight in the bar. You'll be disadvantaged right now, but hey, you know, you're gonna learn. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. So that's exactly what I did. I went straight back to school. I um, started- Same school? Uh, no. So what happened is the campus that I was on, it was um, uh, very old and inaccessible. And it would, be, it would create a total nightmare. So I transferred to uh, UNC Charlotte in North Carolina. So I went from, uh, it, I don't know, it was like too many good walking memories at that school that I was at. <laughs> so I just kind of need that. I was like, if I'm going to start new, I'm going to, you know, start everything from scratch. So I, you know, moved to a uh, new school. And I remember that first. Uh, so before, you know, for like our doubts, how Charlotte was, um, UNC Charlotte, if you were a freshman or you just got accepted at school, you were able to get there like a week prior. So you like you learn the buildings and orientation. orientation type of deal. And all my friends from Georgia were there during my orientation. So we we're just partying, having a great time. Nothing really changed. But then I remember the first day of school, they were left and I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be tough. I don't know anybody here. You know what I mean? So it didn't took me long. I mean, within maybe, I don't know, a couple of weeks, I was back to my normal self, you know, meeting girls, partying, doing whatever I was, you know, playing basketball. Anything that anybody offered me as far as uh, physical activity, I jumped on it. Didn't matter that I wasn't doing that before, but that was the one thing that Joe encouraged and uh, she gave me definitely some contacts in North Carolina. And she was like, you got to do everything. You're never going to know what you're going to like for, for sure. How did skiing come about? So that happened skiing. You started nine months after you went to Breck nine months after, but you said you were in the hospital for six months. So you went to Breck three months after you left the hospital. Is that right? If my math is right. I had to get a uh, special permission from, uh, I believe at the time it was a Dr. Apple in uh, Shepherd Center because they uh, they knew I was athlete before. And um, I went home and I remember uh, my American parents' house is on a hill, like a big hill. 
So when we got home, they retrofitted the house. It was it was tough, you know, the just like for anybody else, they can't. But that hill, it's probably I want to say like a, um, I want to say maybe hundred yards. No, 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 maybe fifty yards. It's just a long driveway. Mm-hmm. And I remember maybe second day that I was at home, I was like, I gotta build myself up. I can't just you know the i'm not able to drive yet you know so first thing i did i rolled down the hill right and then i tried to go back up and i made it about four feet and that was it so and i like but the make the story crazy nobody was at home so i can't get back in the- oh, choice yeah yeah so i'm sitting there i tried a few times there's no way i'm so weak it's not even funny and um, Steve, my American dad, comes back home. I don't know where he was doing. He's like, what are you doing here? But uh, I was like, I was trying to exercise, but I couldn't make it. I'm in my chair and I'm about on this hill and my American dad is driving this big truck. He, he looks at me, he's like, can you hold on the bumper? I was like, yeah, sure. So I just held on the bumper. He brought me up. I was like, yeah, don't do that. Or do at least when somebody's at home. I was like, yeah, no problem. But so... And that's what I did. Every day I would push myself down that hill and try to do a little more and a little more and a little more. And after a while, I, you know, I built myself up. That first day of school, I was immediately in a gym. Um, I just did everything possible to, to rebuild what, what was broken. And I guess these guys in, in my first, um, I guess, the checkup in, in Shepherd. They they saw they saw me as a potential to be an um, athlete again, and they were like, "Well, yeah, we're gonna sign this off. Just take it easy," which I totally didn't, but <laughs> worked out great. So they so they were the ones who set it up for you to go to Breckenridge to go to Ski Spectacular. I'm assuming, right? Yeah, big learn to yeah. ski program. They're often where racers still there. Yeah, as well. Yeah, well, that I I went and I saw other people skiing, and it took me about three days to be able to ski um, by myself. Um, but no, I mean, you understand that that would be like a, a the thirty second go and then tip over, and then you will have like a three cute volunteers helping you. Um, Sure. Yeah, no, I remember all too well. It took me a little bit longer to, to be able to ski by myself. Yeah, but I don't know. Like the um, I saw skiing uh, very similar to uh, uh, able-bodied skiing. And of course, they didn't take me anything steep. So I kind of just, you know, learned how to slide. And then um, I came back to, uh, uh, to North Carolina at the time. And uh, there was... Uh, a program at Beach Mountain, North Carolina, which is a very small hill outside of uh, Boone. And uh, I spoke with those guys and I was like, hey, can you help me ski? They were like, yeah, we have a program. You just uh, you have to show up basically. But that, that mountain is like the East Coast skiing, super icy, busy, nightmare, absolute nightmare. So I, I started going there on a, on a regular basis. And did you know, well, like when you went to Breckenridge, you knew that skiing was it, that that was what you wanted to do? Absolutely. So since I got in this wheelchair, I was always looking for ways 
of getting out of the wheelchair. And um, at first, you know, I was a firm, huge believer in steam cells and, the, you know, the standing and uh, we tried all kinds of uh, different medications and, and um, long leg braces, walking in the pool like six, seven hours. I mean, I've done it all. But then everything else that I was doing, uh, or, or I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but like when people see me in a wheelchair, even to this day, they kind of like look down on, on you. Right. And that was a big problem. Like the Serbian culture, we're fairly, everybody's tall. And um, you, you show your dominance by, you know, having a broad shoulders and speaking with somebody eye to eye or looking down on them. Right. Well, when this thing happened to me, I'm looking up the whole time on, on the whole world. And I was like, well, how I, you know, present myself that I don't have to prove everything that I that, that, that I want to talk about it, you know what I mean? But then when I got in this monoski, and this is kind of this is where I was like, wow, this is something crazy, man. I was like finally able to do something that people look up to me. They were actually like in in in, in the skiing on competitive level or just skiing with your friends or or just trying to ski. I was just blown away how people would come to you and be like, wow, that's cool, man. And I was like, wow, I found, I found my thing. So I, if I could, I would I even the, you know, I just started dating um, Sarah, that, that's my wife. And I was like, man, I could, if I could live in this, I would, you know, spend time nonstop in the, in my, in my monoski because honestly, it's super cool. And till this day, I try to spend as much time as I can racing or not, but Right, and then you moved out to Colorado, and we're going to have to get into into Beijing. So you've had three Paralympic Games, four World Championship Games. You kind of seemed like you'd taken some time off after Pyeongchang, right? Were, were you done, or were you just spending a little bit more time with the family? I was spending kind of both. I don't know. Something happened in Pyeongchang, kind of like the it, it, as far as racing, I kind of lost that. that that fire i am not sure how that came about but i just wasn't i wasn't myself anymore like i didn't enjoy what i was doing i don't know maybe the the type of environment that i was and then i you know three kids at home running a business um they are growing up you know they kind of you know i wasn't to put this in perspective, my middle daughter, Maya, she's born in on May 8th. And um, I was there when she was born. And then every other, um, sorry, March 8th. <laughs> uh, every other birthday until five years old, I was never present. Because right. I'm always racing, World Cup, World Champs, you know, always something's happening. So the... I kind of like got lost in the moment. I was like, what do I do? Like she, she deserves my attention just like any other kid. So that's where, that's where I kind of like slowed down and uh, took a year off, but I think it was good because I got to uh, free ski a lot, kind of fell in love with racing again. And um, so far so good. Let's see what happens in Beijing. So what brought you back then? You took the time off. Did you take the time off with the thought that you're going to come back to Beijing? 
or did you kind of take the time off and go, not really sure where I'm going? Probably option number B, <laughs> not sure where I was going. Um, I just kind of like I took a time off as, you know, was wondering what's going to happen. But then I guess with this Corona deal and everything that was happening, uh, I had a little time on my to think about it. And then last year I was like, well, let me, let me just try it. Maybe I still have a, you know, maybe I still like it. And uh, slalom was, I was always good at it, but you know, something that I didn't really enjoy it. Speed and Super G was kind of my, the how I made my name. And, you know, one of those events that I absolutely love. So uh, next thing you know, I'm good in slalom. I changed the rig, I changed the way of skiing. I, you know, raced my first um, competition. I mean, I was at my first competition, my first race. And next thing you know, I'm like on a podium. I'm like, wow, this didn't. Look. This is last year? That was last year, yeah. So you made the, remade the team then? Remade the team off of like a month of racing, uh, back in the groove. And I kind of, at that point, I was like, I'm going to need to go, you know, in the gym a little bit get a little even stronger and that worked out and we raced all the way through the like through the april back on the team we were planning on skiing this summer but like i said i did uh uh first camp in um mount hood and after that the elbow thing started so i didn't really have a chance to prepare myself the way i would really like this um summer but i i mean we have like 90 days till the games 100 days so it should be it, it i think there's time so and what are you what are you expecting like what's the year going to look like right now you had your first norms last week where do you go from here how does this work so i am currently training uh, until the ninth and then we fly to switzerland for uh, some world cups that's another event that we're gonna kind of test assess and see where where I need to be. And just in technical events, slalom and giant slalom now? Yes, just slalom and, and giant slalom. And then we are coming home and then going back uh, last year, our world championships were uh, uh, canceled because of COVID. So we're going to go to Norway for a huge block um, uh, racing world championships. And then we're going to come home, train, um, do some local races, Park City, Winter Park, and then uh, everything's geared towards uh, Beijing. I hope they're going to allow us to go there a week prior to the games, get um, over with um, uh, jet lag and just try to uh, uh, get yourself ready. And then when games start, just I'm just going to train, keep a low profile until I get to go and race. Hopefully, uh, bring a home a medal. I'm not greedy. I just want a medal. If that's a goal, then let it be. But <laughs> in my case, four times is a charm. So four I'm times sure, is a charm. I'm sure gonna try chasing it. And we saw we saw two of your daughters come in. You said you have three daughters. How old are they? So the youngest one, her name is Adeline. She's four. We have Maya. She's eight, and then we have a, a Layla. She's eleven. Uh, Layla and Maya are uh, uh, also great athletes. 
uh, Layla runs track, soccer, um, um, modern dance, and she also ski race, which is kind of scary because now we train in uh, Winter Park in on several different occasions uh her cancel my practice runs a little bit longer than hers and she will come over to my uh, courses and be like hey dad can i jump in and i'm like whoa <laughs> boy am i old <laughs> now, are, you, are you prouder of them are they prouder of you how does how does that work we have bets on who gets first podiums and what medals are. So <laughs> kind of, I'm more proud of them. But you got the first podium this year, didn't you? Yeah, I got a first podium. And the bet was they're going to have to carry me on their shoulders. But I didn't think this through. I think they're strong enough yet. <laughs> I thought, I didn't look at their schedule. And we were just kind of joking around. But um, yeah, I got the first one. They have races. Uh, I believe uh, end of the December. So we will see how that goes. Layla did excellent um, last year, but um, big problem with them racing. So I'm, um, obviously I don't use the ski boots and uh, I ski in, um, in a monoski. And uh, this year Layla outgrew her boots and uh, um, she was like, I need a new one. And I was like, well, I can help you with skis, but I don't know anything about boots. We're going to have to get some help. <laughs> so the I, I just learned about flex and everything else that is involved with everybody skiing. But uh, with the tuning her skis and getting her ready, no problem. But we'll, boots are new new thing for me. Like I said, life is uh, full of surprises. So keep learning. <laughs> So you said they're prouder of you, but do they do they bring bragging rights to this whole thing? Are they if if they feel like they're better than you, are they going to give you a hard time? Absolutely. The we are one of those families that uh, any topic is on the table, and uh, you you better uh, have a thick skin because uh, they nothing's left untouched. So. Uh, it, it's a it's a fun group, honestly. Um, I uh, really wanted a son, and um, that's just that uh, Eastern European mentality. But um, yeah, these girls will just do. They're tough little cookies, no problem at all. Uh, they fish, they hunt, they kayak, they um, they play on the lake nonstop. I mean, we don't even have gaming consoles in our house so they just do everything that i do so it's absolutely awesome they're outside are they looking is there somebody with a soccer ball across the street yep yeah absolutely but problem here there is uh every kid has like six soccer balls and uh the one with the sparkles is usually a ticket you know what i mean <laughs> that's probably yours right the one with the sparkles uh, yep yeah yeah i, I uh um when they play soccer, sometimes like I, I understand the game and I um, love uh, professional um, soccer, but um, I take a, I usually take a putter or a, a, a three golf club, and uh, they we will pass the ball back and forth. I just use a <laughs> use a golf stick, which it works, man. And I mean, life is not perfect, but it works. So you're skiing. You have three daughters you have a you have a business as well how how do you how do you juggle 
all of it? How do you make all of this work? You gotta have a really good wife. That's the that's the ticket. You see what I'm saying? So um, we are very organized. Um, Sarah handles a lot of stuff. Um, problem now when I mean not a problem. It's just that uh, that's how our family works. The when I'm racing, I'm gone a lot. And then um, you are, it's just one of those sacrifices you have to do. The fact that I'm in a wheelchair, I'm also a professional athlete and um, the Sarah totally understands that. And um, she helps tremendously with this whole, whole deal. Um, just the regular dynamics is like the, when the kids come, home you have to like drive them back and forth so we um we're back and forth to their activities which which is not ideal and then with the business and employees and all that stuff you you definitely have i definitely have a full plate but i you know i'm always been busy i've always been hungry for success and um i have no problem juggling all this um how long this is gonna go like that Let's see, but um, like I said, I definitely gonna go in Beijing full force, and after that, we will see how it goes. So you're not saying this is your last games or your last? You might have a world championships after this or something too. I'm not saying, but uh, uh, Sarah's saying it differently. So we will uh, we will <laughs> have to do some negotiations. <laughs> well, we didn't have her on, so she doesn't get her get her say. <laughs> I believe I'm watching kids or they're watching themselves as Sarah is uh, with her friends and some uh, uh, wine tasting things. So That sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a fair trade. In the morning, I will be practicing and she will be, um, uh, she will be watching kids. So usually that's how it works. That's awesome. Well, it's good. And we wish you a lot of luck as you approach both a world championships this year in January, and then the Paralympics in Beijing in February. In January, you get to ski at Hafiel, uh, where, where I was where I skied back in in 1994. Yeah, in Lillehammer. So one of my favorite places I was, uh, I have fond memories of that place. So so good luck at both places. Thank, Thank you, you so much for joining us. I hope the elbow and the shoulder holds up and we look forward to watching you in March. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you to all your um, uh, supporters. Thank Chris. You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you all, all of you for watching. If you did not get a chance to see the whole thing, as usual, you can go to the One Revolution page. It will be archived on the One Revolution page. We will also edit this into a traditional podcast. It'll be in all the places that you usually find it, whether YouTube, if you want to watch it, Apple, uh, Spotify, uh, Amazon, all those places. So please, the greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends that you enjoyed this and that they should tune in. And then also to please follow and like us. So we'll see you next time. And yes, best of luck. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks.